Would you help me say thank you to our worship team and our prayer team and everybody who helps make Heritage happen. Thank you so much, everybody. Folks are still coming in from the cafe, and we, we want to welcome them. And hey, I know Mrs. Dav had you say, uh, look at someone and tell them that you're glad that they're here. But be sure to keep your eyebrows raised and your smiles on as they come in. That's really important. We don't want never go from, we're glad you're here, to where have you been. Let's go. Open our Bibles, please, to the book of John. We are going to today conclude this series, Emmanuel, a celebration of the incarnation. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and then just verse 1 and verse 14. Emmanuel means God with us. Somebody say it happily. God with us. Isn't that better than God against us? Or God far from us? I used to be so mad at Bette Midler. Yeah, okay, I was just waiting around, just waiting around for people to go, what's he talking about? She's saying that God is watching from a distance. God is, and I was just so mad. From a distance, God is with us. John 1 says this, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He tabernacled among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son. The word became flesh and God himself came near. Merry Christmas. God himself came near. What is the significance of that? Oh, mercy, we've said it a dozen times. We could never enumerate, elucidate. We could never delineate. I don't need to be here in the nose. You know, these, this row over here, I have a, need a camera on them. We need the ushers to control. Anyway, we could never list, we could never uh, describe the significance of the incarnation in total, but we take time, at this, particularly at this time of year, to recognize it and to open our hearts and say, Lord, impress upon us what you'd have us to hear. Afresh, Lord, let us feel the significance that God became flesh, that God came near. And here are three things that I have felt to emphasize in this house. And I felt that we should emphasize them in the message. And then each week we have concluded the message by gathering around the table of the Lord because it is the table of the Lord that reminds us that God became flesh, that we hold the physical symbols of the body and blood of the Lord in our hands, that we hold hope in our hands. What significance does the incarnation have? First of all, we recognized a couple of weeks ago that, that because God became man, because God came near, we can know that God loves us fully. He did not wait for perfection. <laughs> he did not, yeah, people are feeling the sighs of relief. He didn't even wait for preference. He didn't wait for it to be preferable to love us, but he loved us while we were still sinners. 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He acted toward us with divine favor, divine goodwill, when we deserved divine wrath. And in demonstrating that love for us, God affirms forever that he values human life. God entered fully into our humanity, affirming that all that it means to be human is God's idea. and should be lived according to his loving design. Psalm says, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. Psalms also said that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Therefore, to be human is God's idea and should li be lived through the lens, the truthful lens of his design. Secondly, it means that not only that we can know that we are loved fully, but we can and should love God fully. There is no part of me that is not part of what Christ has entered into and affirmed and redeemed and reclaimed and therefore every part of me should be, ought to be, must be offered back unto him in loving devotion, in obedient worship. And when we get that first, we get other things right. And then thirdly, by extension, today. We know that God loves us fully. We know that we can love, we can and should God love God fully. We can and should love one another fully. Fully, not just really, but fully, stem to stern, fervently, completely. That God became flesh means that we can and should love one another fully. The incarnation, here, first of all, the incarnation requires, first of all, that we honor God's love for humanity. The incarnation requires we honor, someone said honor, honor. we honor God's love for humanity. That God became fully human must determine how we treat every human. We treat them with love and honor and hope because they are image bearers. Not because they are perfect, nor even preferable. But that is when God loved us, when we were not perfect or preferable. But God showed his love, that is when God showed his love for humanity, and therefore that is when we do. Because God values human life, so do we. Somebody said, so do we. So do we. Our morals, our ethics, our laws, Every principle, human practice, and endeavor, my notes say, are principally informed. And I, I, I'm probably speaking too ideally there. 
but should be principally informed and influenced by our respect for how God values human life. So right away, obviously, any attempt to divide or to, or to deride or to dismiss human beings based upon separate or observable categories about their ability or their age or their size or their shape or their melanin or their ethnicity, any kind of ism, racism, ageism, whatever, ableism, all of that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. We cannot, we can, we do not value people by their appearance or their ability. We value them by their image. Now that doesn't mean, just for the sake of record, that doesn't mean that we don't delight in or even sometimes aren't even amused by our differences. Relax. We're different. It's amusing. But that's not a source of mockery but a source of innocent and wonderful and loving delight. I said it before. I can't believe I'm going to say it again. It's old news now, but here's the deal. I got a friend named Khalil Burton, handsome black guy, handsome black guy, student friend of mine, and a a few years ago started dating this white girl. And about November, about fall, a couple of years ago, he called me. And he said, Dav, what's the deal? He said, it's November. I I have been to, I've had pumpkin lattes. I've been pumpkin, I've had pumpkin bread. I've been to a pumpkin patch. He said, why do white people love pumpkin so much? (laughs) That's hilarious. But it's not mockery, it's not evil, and it certainly isn't hatred. It's wonderful that we're different, but we honor, we value, and we protect those differences because we are image bearers. Furthermore, control or oppression. What an anathema. Control, oppression, it is ungodly. It is wicked to attempt to manipulate or restrict the God-given free will of another. That is the least godly thing, is the most ungodly thing. God himself does not manipulate or control, but but honors our free will. Uh, We get to choose our, we get to make the choice. We don't get to choose the consequence. Even when it comes to like labor and management issues, those should be conducted with a fundamental respect for human beings as image bearers. politics (laughs) church you guys you know yeah (laughs) politics law and justice these things must respect god-given liberties they must respect god-given liberties liberties and must protect people from oppression and theft. Medicine, the healing arts, the healing arts and sciences are holy and noble callings and must be driven first and most by a desire to serve the well-being of image bearers. And obviously, ultimately, compassion, providing aid, 
feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, whether it's organized relief work or just individual acts of kindness, these are among the highest and holiest of actions. My friend Zori is here today, leads Teen Challenge, gives his life to helping image bearers get free. Not because, it's, not because they're perfect. Not because it's always preferable. But because they're image bearers. And when we fail to do that, we must take this into account. When we fail to value human life as God does, then we, the image bearers, should face the highest standard of justice and even the harshest. Love for humanity, respecting God's love for humanity does not make us soft on evil. Genesis chapter 9, verses uh, 5 and 6. This is what God stated as true. He said it would be true as long as the earth existed. It is not dependent upon anything else. Here's the truth. The Lord says in, he says this, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Here's why. Here's what he says, verse six. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God, God made mankind. It is an especially terrible horror to abuse, to oppress, to steal from, enslave, kidnap, torture, take the life of a fellow image bearer. Regardless of their, their socioeconomic status, ethnicity, sex, or age. When the law says an eye for an eye, when Moses wrote an eye for an eye, I realize Martin Luther King, he said, hey, we gotta be careful of that. If we practice that, everybody goes blind. He wasn't wrong in that, but he was saying we cannot use that text as a proof text for vengeance. But that text has, was never about vengeance. It was about honor. What, here's what Moses is saying. He is speaking to, to an audience who, you know, that, that you know, comes from a, 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 a caste system. They spent 400 years in a caste system of multiple gods and people being people. Some people are divine and some people are worthless. And so if, if you treated a worthless person worthlessly, there's no consequences. If you treat a worthless person worthlessly, there's no consequence, no big deal. But, but God says no, an eye for an eye, meaning you treat every person with the same value before God. It's not okay. We don't, we don't dismiss wrongdoing because of someone's status. At the same time, we don't overreach. We don't exaggerate justice. 
but it's based upon, it's, it's, it, a just and fair system respects people equally as image bearers. Love for humanity does not accommodate or excuse evil human conduct. But rather, it holds it dreadfully accountable. The incarnation requires we honor God's love for humanity and the value that that love assigns. And more importantly, somebody say more importantly. And what we've said all so far is pretty important, but more importantly, the incarnation secondly requires that we, the redeemed, show God's love to one another. There is a special endowment and expectation of love among those who confess Christ. Let me say that again. There is a special endowment and expectation of love among those who confess Christ. Yes, there is supposed to be special preferential treatment among those who confess Christ. We respect God's love for humanity, but when it comes to the brotherhood, the sisterhood in Christ, there is something more, something even more special. Jesus said this, John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. John, Jesus says this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As so, this is what Jesus came and taught and, and, and exemplified for us. As so, it's the same principle as as in heaven, so on earth. When Jesus says he wants earth to feel and look like and be influenced by heaven, he's saying, I want your hearts to feel and be influenced and look like mine. As I have loved you, you love one another. We love one another in the way and in the manner that he has loved us. Then verse 35 says, by this, someone say this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is the swoosh. The icon, the symbol. It's a logo, honey. It's on Nike. It's a swoosh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't do the Nike. Uh, it, this is the symbol. This is the icon. This is the brand for the whole world to know that you and I belong to the Lord Jesus. How they know isn't, isn't even our appearance. It's not our dress. It's not our buildings. It's not our cool carpet. It's not our poinsettias. It's not our keyboard. It's not our trees. It's not even, brace yourself, take a deep breath, deep breath, deep breath, get your offense out, flow it out. It's not even the cross. Well, I'm wearing a cross, so. Got a cross on our building, so. This is how you, the world will know you belong to him, by how we love one another. Amen. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13 and verse 17. Here's Jesus again. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. This is my command, love each other. Jesus is calling attention to the fact that it is his willing sacrifice for us that expresses his love for us. But also, by example, we love one another 
to the degree that we spend our lives for one another. We honor the lives of one another above our own. Now, just a brief departure from Johannine literature. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul. Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Here's what Paul says. Listen to this. He says, Let no debt remain outstanding. And all of our economic Ramsey guys are like, Yeah, debt bad. Let no debt, but finish the sentence. It's a backdrop. Let no debt remain outstanding except. In other words, he's saying, pay all your bills. Everybody said amen. Pay all your bills except this one you won't be able to repay. Listen, except the continuing debt. Continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Continuing debt. What? What does Paul mean by that? How I am indebted under, how have I become indebted to love others? Because I have been so fully, so completely, so faithfully, fervently loved. He's not asking me to pay him back. I'll never do it. He's saying, because you have been so completely loved, you have a continuing debt to love one another. It's a debt you'll never repay. You'll never get to the place where you say, that's it. Tiff, I've loved you enough. That's it. Done. Watch it, Tiff. Never get to a place where we have loved one another enough. I will never get to a place where I have loved another brother or a sister enough. There's never a time where I say, that's it, I'm going to stop. I no long, I'm no longer obligated to love them. But understand this, he is not, this is not God assigning us some, some burden. This is God giving us a great opportunity to walk in the most blessed kind of life. You'll never go broke by giving love. You'll only get more enriched. To sum up, there is no Dave Ramsey plan to get out of the debt of love. You can gather all the envelopes you wish. But going back, listening to John, as John continues to write not only in his gospel, but in his epistolary literature, for John, love for one another is so central to his message, so core to his understanding of Christianity, that we can barely keep up with his enjoining of his readers to love one another. If we get this wrong, we, we just we can't get anything else right. First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. Dear, verse 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. How many of you started to sing as soon as I said that? Love let it love one lovers of God. Everyone loves. I'm singing like that just to entertain my wife in case she misses her father. Uh, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Where does love come from? God. God is the designer. He designs love. He is love. He exudes love. Therefore, we do not get to design it. We do not get to redesign it. We don't get to rearrange it, rename it, reframe it. We don't get to vote on it. We don't get to decide what love is. Because God is. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us. Here, this is it, verse 11. We're gonna hear this again. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Dear friends, since God, so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God loved us in this way, in this manner, we should love one another in the same way, sacrificially, with good will. He continues, John chapter four, verses 19 and 21. Verse 19 says, we love because, someone say because. We love, that's our, the action and then the cause. We love because he first loved us. And he has given this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Anyone who loves God must also love brother and sister. So he, to hear that, in both of these instances, we love because he first loved us, right? We, so it's, it's his love that is the cause of our love, but also our love for, our love for God must also evince itself in love for one another. So it's cause and effect. The cause is his love. The effect is our love for each other. The action is our love for one another. The reason, the motive, is his love for us. The practice is our love for one another. The standard is his love for us. So what's, what's the significance of the incarnation? What's the deal? What's the implication? What's the significance? Love. The significance of the incarnation is love. Love from God. Love toward God. And love for one another. The significance of the incarnation is love. What's love? The great poet Tina once asked, what's love got to do with it? Younger team members were like, oh, Tina, who's that? (laughs) What's love got to do with it? Love, the term is overused, it's misapplied, it's undermeant. Love is redefined, it's been reduced, it's been maligned, it's been perverted. Mostly because people fail or forfeit or refuse to remember that God is love. 
He defines it. And God is holy. God is holy. He is worthy. He is awesome. He is excellent. And therefore, so is love. Therefore, there is nothing higher than love. There is nothing holier than love. Nothing more noble, nothing more excellent than love. There is no greater calling upon our, our attitude, our honor, our devotion, our kindness, or our sacrifice than love. Paul wrote well that love is the most excellent way. And nowhere is love more realized as holy than at the table of our Lord. It's at the table of our Lord that we honor God's love toward us and our love for one another. Now, our ushers are about to move among you, serving you the emblems of communion. I'm going to ask you to let them do that um, without too much uh, discussion. Just let them serve you. And as they do, I'd like you to lean in and hear the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes to us. Ushers, go ahead and serve the folks. As he writes to the church at Corinth, this passage is intensely familiar to those who have been in a communion service, or at least portion of this passage is. But let's hear it in context. Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He begins by saying this in chapter 11, verse 17. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. What's the subject? He's talking about the church gathered. The church, the body of Christ gathered. He said, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. Division does harm. Division does harm. Verse 20, so then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat right away. He's saying that this division, this division among you, that if there's division among you, it's affecting, it's prohibiting your capacity to have the Lord's Supper. He said, for when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Are we hearing Paul When you gather, he said, there are divisions. And by accommodating or or 
capitulating those divisions, you are despising the church. Then he continues. Here's the passage we're familiar with. He said, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For her, listen to verse 26. For who, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, for, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat the bread... And drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Are we hearing this context? That Paul is saying to the Corinthians that the body of the Lord, that's the celebration of the, of the, of the cup and the body of the Lord, is something that we do to remind ourselves not only of his love for us, but to honor our love for one another. He said, if we come to this place, now, truthfully, rightfully, we always try to emphasize this, we shouldn't come to the table of the Lord harboring sin in our heart, unconfessed sin in our life. Don't, don't, don't come to the communion table keeping unconfessed sin, get rid of it, repent. But he's also saying, don't come to the table of the Lord harboring harshness in your heart or hardness in your attitudes toward others. Don't come to the table of the Lord with resentment or bitterness or wrath or division. Come to the table of the Lord and repent of all of that. Renounce all of that. This do in remembrance of me. Remembrance of him. In remembrance of him who loved us and whom we love and who has endowed us and expects us to love one another. So we take this bread. We take this bread and with it we remember the body of Christ, the one who, that the Lord literally gave himself for us. That he took upon himself our humanity, entered into it and redeemed it. He loved us fully. And that we, in turn, love him with all of ourselves. But also we remember today that we are his body. Joined together by the Spirit of God. And we honor his love by our love for each other. Remembering and giving thanks for his body and that we are a part of it. Let's take this, this, this wafer together.
this cup, the cup of the new covenant in his blood, a ransom poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, we thank you that your, your blood was poured out to ransom us, that our sin would be forgiven, that we would be redeemed, that you came near to bring us near so that we could draw near. We thank you that your life was poured out for us. And we thank you, Lord, that by example, our lives, we, our lives can be poured out for you as a drink offering. And also, Lord, in this cup of forgiveness, we pray, forgive us our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Today, we release, we forgive We do not say that wrongs done against us don't matter or that they are acceptable. We release them into your jurisdiction. We will not harbor resentment. We will not harbor anger. We forgive. And Lord, now challenge our hearts if we need to make something right, if we have sinned against another, forgive us, Lord, and give us the grace and the courage to make it right with haste, to seek forgiveness, to seek restitution, to make it right with someone else. We do not want to show disdain for your body. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, let us love one another. Let you take this cup together. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever see. and sing this next part.
love to those around me. Dear friends, since God has so loved us, let us love one another. May the Lord bless you. May you make haste to love one another. If you'd like to spend some more time just waiting upon the Lord, we'll have this front of the church will be open and we'll have some music playing a little bit. Otherwise, I encourage you to eagerly show the love of Christ to one another. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next weekend.